Caitlin is a really phenomenal woman, and she's also an incredibly accurate prophetic voice. So if you've ever had her pray over you and she starts to prophesy, it's like, how did you know that? What is happening? Or she'll be like, uh, well, the Lord was showing me this, and then it'll all like happen, and it's amazing. And so I wanted to say that up front as she comes up to share, because I want you to be not just listening to like someone who's sharing some interesting stories about their life, but listening to someone who's actually prophesying something into you that can change the shape of your life if you'll receive it in that way. So we want to pray for her, bless the words of her mouth and all that good stuff, because what she's going to share today is really going to be amazing. So reach your hand out towards her. Let me just bless what you're doing in Caitlin and how she's going to release your word to us today. Lord, we ask for our hearts to receive from you exactly what you want us to get. And we just pray, let her be in the flow that you've created for today in Jesus' name. All right, here we go. Awesome. All right. I'm going to scoot the, yeah, the table out a little bit and grab my notes. <laughs> um, so um, I'm excited to be up here. I also am a little nervous because this isn't normally where I am. Um, but so if you'll hang on with me, I'm not the most elegant speaker, um, but I'm going to do my best and hopefully we'll have some fun. So give me a thumbs up if you feel good about that. All right. Awesome. OK, so when preparing this message, um, I was asked to share a testimony of what God has done in my life. And when I asked God what he wanted me to share, because he has literally done so much in my life throughout um, my 24 years here on earth that I asked him, what do you want me to share? And I felt like God wanted me to share my story of learning how to choose joy, even in the most difficult of circumstances. Um, so just to prep you, I'm going to share um, my story of um, my childhood and the difficulties of it. And it's a little bit heavy, so just like buckle up really quick, and then we'll have some fun after that. And I'm going to read it just so I stay on track. So when I was 14, I went through a traumatic event that altered the course of my life. As I share this story with you, know that I do not want you to feel sad for me, and I don't want you to villainize anybody in this story either, because that's not what the story is about. It's not about the bad things that happened, but it's about what God did in me and what he did through my situation. All right, so let's dive in. So like I said, when I was 14, I had to transition from living with my parents to living with my aunt and uncle. This happened because growing up, my home situation wasn't healthy or safe. My dad struggled with um, severe drug and alcohol addiction, and because of that, my parents' marriage was always chaotic along with our household. From a really young age, I internalized that this was my fault. This happened both by comments of my parents, such as, this is your fault, and I wish you were never alive, I wish you weren't born, and things like that. And so um, from these comments, I started believing the lie that this disaster that was my family, that was what was going on in my dad's life, was my fault. Um, my parents, they got pregnant with me, and that's why they got married. And so that, just when I learned that at a really young age, it solidified that. It felt like um, if I hadn't come along, if I wouldn't have been born, then none of this would have been the situation. Um, so, getting off my notes a little bit, so sorry. Um, so at a really young age, I made the decision, um, I can even remember it, it felt like it was probably around kindergarten, I made the decision that I was going to do every single thing that I could do in my power to earn my dad's love. 
and to try to help him out of his situation and to try to help him want to be a dad and try to save our family because it felt like the weight of it was on me. So um, I had to be the best at every sport that I played. I had to do the best in school. I literally cried, like cried for hours once because I missed one letter of one word on a spelling test in the second grade. Um, I felt like I had to do every single thing perfect. But the truth of the matter was, is that that was never going to save my dad. Our work's never, that's just not what they do. And so my dad continued to get worse. And like I said, when I was 14, it all came to a head. Um, my brother and I, the summer before, had moved in with my grandparents, who are really awesome. Um, they're really sweet people. They go to a Pentecostal church and more. And so that's where I grew up going to church. Um, and so it was great living with them. But then towards the end of my eighth grade year, um, it, like I said, it all came to a head. And um, to make the story short, my dad attempted to kill my grandpa. And um, from that situation, um, my grandpa was put in the hospital. My dad was put in jail. And uh, my brother and I would have been put up into the foster care system. But my aunt and uncle graciously took us in. And over the course of the next few months, um, practically adopted us um, because my mom decided to stay with my dad. To sum up my feelings in that time, I hated myself. I felt abandoned. I felt I was to blame for everyone's pain and that I was definitely not worthy. But then began the pursuit of God. God was pursuing me in the most evident ways. Um, so one of the first ways that I really encountered God in that season was that my aunt and uncle, they sent me to a camp called Cub Camps, which is a Christian sports camp. So it was perfect for me because I love sports. So I get there. I'm just thinking I'm going to have a fun time. I'm going to meet some new friends. I really like that sort of stuff. So I thought it was going to be great. And um, I was wrong. I uh, really met Jesus as a friend. Um, for the first time ever in my life, um, I experienced that God and his intention in creating us was that he wanted to have a relationship for it with us. Does anyone think it needs some water? Sorry, my mouth is so dry. Um, and he wanted to have a relationship with us. And it wasn't just about the works that I would do or the good things I would do or how good I could be at something, but that he wanted to have a relationship with us. Um, and he really introduced himself in that season that he wanted to be my dad. He didn't want to be a biological father like my dad had been, but he wanted to be a dad that was going to interact with me, that was going to be my friend, that was going to be there with me through all the hard things. Um, and so I get back home, and I'm kind of like, how am I going to do this by myself? And my aunt and uncle get me plug in, plugged into a ministry called Young Life, um, which is a high school ministry that's in a lot of college towns. Thank you so much. Um, hold on one second. Thank you. Okay, so I get plugged into Young Life, and um, some of the Young Life leaders were not amazing, but my Young Life leader was incredible. This lady, her name was Amy, and she loved Jesus, and she was one of the most tender, nurturing, encouraging people that really I probably have ever encountered, and for the first time in my life, um, as a freshman in high school, I shared what had been going on in my home life. I'd never told anyone. I kept it all a secret. I always put a smile on my face when I went to school and everywhere else, 
And I shared with her all that had been going on. And as that happened, it was just like this breakthrough began to happen as I spoke it. And she continually was encouraging me. Um, And it was really this picture of the father heart of God. It was like he was giving me a person that was going to interact with me how he would interact with me. And she continually, she didn't have to do this. She was a college girl. She was probably broke. But she would take me to lunch. She would take me to dinner. She'd have me um, come over and have sleepovers at her house. And she would continually speak life into me and just continually um, encourage me. And seriously, my life would not be the same without that season of just really experiencing the Father's love through her. Um, So then fast forward just a tiny bit further. And at the end of my freshman year, my aunt and uncle decided we should go try this church called Antioch in Norman. Um, And it was like the first Sunday, maybe, that they were having an official Sunday. And um, and so we went, and I met Grant and Rachel. And for the first time, I was around people that really were so hungry for more of God. And at this point, I was experiencing the goodness of God, and I was experiencing him as a father. But I also had a lot of questions. Those questions looked like, um, okay, God, if you're a really good dad, then how in the world did you allow me to be in that situation for 14 years? Um, so I had a lot of questions, and... Um, and Rachel was so awesome. Uh, if I talk about her too much, I will cry, so we won't go there too much. But she was so awesome, and she pushed me, and she challenged me to go to the hard places with God. Um, she challenged me to ask the hard questions. She challenged me to continue to push through, even when it felt hard and it felt alone. Um, and so I was, I'm so super thankful for you, Rachel, and um, I would not be where I am today without you. So... Um, on with the story. So when I was at Canacook, I heard this phrase, and people said it all the time, and I just thought it was kind of a fun slogan, but it was choose joy, that you had to choose joy. It wasn't like, oh, be joyful. It was choose joy. And I thought it was really awesome, but it also really intrigued me and caught um, my attention because my situation wasn't really one to be joyful about. So at this point, I'm like one year out of all of this mess that had happened um, over the course of my life. And there were still painful things. The process was still painful. Um, and I was like, choose, excuse me, choose joy. So um, this led me to feel a little bit frustrated. Um, so one night, as I like to say it, I got really authentic with God in my bedroom as a high school student. And um, if you know me at all, I'm mostly really sweet all the time. And then when I get, like, mad, it is like the Hulk comes out of me. You can ask Makobi. It's really intense. So, (laughs) testify. So, anyway, so I'm in my room, and I'm like, God, seriously, you you were being so good to me, and I love you so much. And my aunt had given me this book that was like love letters from a good daddy to his princess daughter or something like that, really cheesy. But all the notes were like changing my life. But I was like, God, all these things are true. Then I need you to tell me where in the world were you during this season? Um, And what happened was really crazy. He showed me a picture, and that picture was him right there with me throughout it all, protecting me from so many other things that could have happened and weeping at the pain and hurt that was in my heart. I know with all my heart that God hated every part of that situation, but the whole time he knew um, that he would use it all for my good. 
He knew that he would passionately pursue me with, with pursue relationship with me. He knew he would woo my heart and win me over. He knew that he would become my daddy and I would become his little girl. He knew that he would full on adopt me and my life would never be the same. He knew his intention. He knew his own goodness. And because of all those things, he remained joyful even through the pain, hurt, and tears. He literally could not wait to captivate me in all of his goodness. My life would never be the same from him showing me this. This is absolutely not to say that um, I've had all good days since then or good weeks or good months. Um, But that from that day on, it became my intention to seek out where he was in my situations that felt hard and difficult and apart from him and to choose his joy, to receive the joy that he has and choose it and make it active in my life because For so much of my life, I spent so much time putting on a fake smile everywhere I went, but feeling completely shattered inside. And this joy that I felt as I connected with God and he healed me um, from being in relationship with him, the joy that I felt, it was so powerful. It was the only way that I could explain it. It's the only way that I continued to make it through. It's the only way that I propelled. It's the only way that I overcame that situation was his joy. Um, and so that's what I want to talk about today is the power of joy. I think when we talk about joy, we a lot of times think, oh, joy is so fun. It's like bubbly and happy and fun and smiley. Um, but I felt like God had a different message about joy today. So really quick, I want to share um, a few things about what he was teaching me throughout all that time. So the first thing I think that God loves to do in your difficult situations, now they might not be as tragic as this, but we all go through trials. So the Bible says in James 1, 2, consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. So it doesn't say if you meet trials, it says when you meet trials. So we all have trials in our life. I think everybody can agree on that. You've went through something difficult. So what God likes to do in these situations that I found is that he likes to introduce himself as who he can be for you in that situation that he might not be able to be in any other given situation in your life. This is not to say that God is the author of destruction or trials, but it is to say that he is so good. He's so, so good that in any situation, whether it's difficult or good, he is going to use it for your good and for his glory. It doesn't matter if it looks completely hopeless. It doesn't matter if it feels completely lost. It doesn't matter if you got yourself in that situation or if somebody else put you in that situation. He is good, and he's going to use it for your good. So in that season of my life, like I said, God said, I want to be your dad. That is what I needed. I needed a dad. I felt so lost. I was so insecure. It was already a bad time in your life to have these sorts of experiences. But I was so insecure. I was so lost. And I needed a dad that was going to love me, that was going to affirm me, that was going to speak life into me. That's exactly what he wanted to do. So he introduced himself as a dad. Now, in your situation, you might not be needing a dad in your trial. You might be needing 
um, a provider. Maybe it has to do with your with your finances. Um, maybe you need a friend. Maybe you feel really lonely in the season that you're in. Maybe you need God to be your breakthrough. Maybe you need God to be um, the one that fights for you. Maybe you're in a situation where there's nothing else that you can do, but you need him to fight for you. So in every situation, God, like I said, is using it for your good. He has something good for you through every trial that he wants to give you. You you don't have to catch it, but he wants you to catch that thing. And so, like I said, he wanted to be my dad. But that's not, that's not the only thing. So, okay, let's say that God said, I want to be your dad. I could say no. I could say maybe later. I'm really hurt, and I'm mad at you right now, and I don't want you to be my dad. I was a high school girl. Um, but... The next step is that when God says, this is what I want to be for you in this season, you have to open the door and let him in. You have to let him into that situation. So for me in that season, that was not really a fun thing to say yes to. My dad had, was awful to me, to just be outright honest. He was awful to me. I, I didn't really have a lot of awesome dad figures in my life. I had a few friends' dads that were nice, but none of them that, like, loved Jesus and spoke into my life. So to let him in and say, you're going to be my dad, felt kind of dangerous in a way. Um, and so sometimes in your situation, it doesn't feel like, ooh, this is what I want to do. I want to let you come in the door, God, because you're God. But it's whatever he's wanting to be in that situation might feel uncomfortable. But trust me, open the door and let him into the situation and let him build trust in you about that thing. Um, and the biggest thing that I can say is like, look for him in those ways in your situation. So I was, like, looking for ways to interact with him as a dad. Sometimes for me, I loved to play soccer when I was this age. I loved it. I thought I was wanted to be a professional soccer player. And obviously, I'm not now. Um, but I would go out in the backyard, and for hours, I would play soccer with God. I would be talking to him. It was like we played against each other. He knows I love competition. Um, but we would play against each other. We would play with each other. I felt like he was congratulating me when I made an awesome shot. Um, that became one of the things I loved to do with him. Another thing that I would do is I love to journal. Um, and I needed a lot of affirmation during that time in my life. And I would write these letters to God, and he would speak to me, and I'd put my pen down, and it was, like, almost as if, like, honestly, supernaturally, he was writing, like, with my hand. Like, sometimes we hear God, and then we write it down. But this was, like, he was, like, supernaturally moving my hand across the page. And I, it wasn't just, like, a, a paragraph or a sentence. It was like five pages at a time that he would speak to me. Um, he would love on me and he would comfort me. Um, so when God tells you who he wants to be for you in that season, let him in the door. If you don't let him in the door, then he can't come in. If you don't look for him in the situation, then you're not going to experience that part of him. Um, from that place with him, Joy will be a byproduct because it is the overflow of who he is. I, he is not the author of destruction, but because of his goodness, he uses all situations for our good and for us to know him more. So all of these things, they require relationship with him. And from that place is where you get joy. So we're going to talk about that here in a second.
the joy of the Lord really did become my strength. Knowing his perspective is what moved me forward. It did not change my actual physical situation, um, but it propelled me into his mindset and brought healing, breakthrough, and freedom in my life. So when I was preparing this message, I asked God what he wanted to say about joy. Joy, to me, sometimes feels very bubbly and fun. If you know my personality, that's how I am a lot. I like to have a lot of fun. Um, but he, that was what he said was saying, like I said. So the three things I felt like God said for this morning is joy is powerful, joy is a weapon, and joy is your portion. So we're going to start with joy is powerful. So in the Bible, several places, two to name them, 1 Thessalonians 5.16 and Philippians 4.4 4 say, be joyful always, rejoice always. Okay, it says, be joyful always. That's kind of difficult because in some situations, you don't want to be joyful. You want to throw a fit like a kid. Um, and then in James 1, 2, like I said, it says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. And in the message version, I thought this was so funny because it says, Consider it a sheer gift, friends, when tests, when, when tests and challenges come at you from all sides. So that it it replaces the word joy with a gift. So joy is not a byproduct of emotion, but we receive it from God. So, sorry. Joy is not like happy or sad, just like feelings that you feel. It's not something that you can just conjure up on your own. And like I said, in trials, you're like, that's the worst place to have to feel joyful, God. Why would you put that in the Bible? But he does, and he wants you to be joyful in all situations. But it's something that we have to receive from God. So a lot of us have heard a lot of messages about love, the love of God. And it's something that we have to, he gives, and we have to receive, and then we have to make active in our life. Joy is the same thing. It's something that you have to receive from God. You have to, like, actually take it in and make it your own. So now time for a little bit of fun. Okay. So if I throw joy at my Kobe, gosh, Sarah, watch out. <laughs> and he doesn't receive it. He might experience a little bit of God's joy, but he doesn't actually receive and get to walk out in joy. Can you throw me the ball back? Now, if I throw the ball to Makobi and he catches it, then he receives the joy and then he can make it active in his life. So joy kind of works like this ball. So what do you do with playground balls? You usually actually play with them. You throw them around. Throw it to somebody else and make sure they can catch it. Perfect. You can keep it. That's great. So that's how joy works. Okay, we can actually, whoever has it can keep it now. But um, that's how joy, joy works is that um, you, don't, you don't just, like, experience God and then you, like, walk away and you just, like, have joy. You have to receive it from God. It's not just, like, an actual emotion that you can just feel. It's a joy is something you receive from God and then you make active in your life. And joy is bubbly. It's fun. Sometimes, honestly, in my life, sometimes it looks like tears. Um, but sometimes it looks like smiling and laughing and playing and being fun. But joy works like that, that when he catches it and then he makes it active in his life, then it's bubbling over and bouncing around all over the place and affecting everybody else around you.
and affecting your situation that you're in. Um, so how do we know that we get joy from God? In John 15, 11, he says, These things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. So it wasn't about that you had to just become joyful, that you just did it by yourself, but that God gave you joy. So how do we get joy? Like I said, we spend time with him, and we get his perspective on our circumstance. And when we do that, that's when it becomes powerful. If we can access joy from him and we receive it, receive it and put it into practice, being joyful always, then there must be a reason. So I felt like God was highlighting the story of Nehemiah. I feel like we don't talk about Nehemiah all that often, but as I read the story, I was like, man, I'm remembering how much I actually like this guy. So Nehemiah, I'm going to jump to Nehemiah 1. We're going to go through 1 through 4 and then jump over to 6. Um, if you want to follow along, you're more than welcome. Um, but you don't necessarily have to because, like I said, I'm kind of going to be paraphrasing for time. Okay, so in Nehemiah 1, let me jump back. Phone is being all funny. All right. Here we are in Nehemiah 1. So Nehemiah gets word, and this is what he hears. The remnant there in the province who had survived in exile is a great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broke down, and its gates are destroyed by fire. So here's this, and he says, As soon as I hear these words, I sat down and wept, mourned for days, and I continued fasting and praying before God of heaven. And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep this, his commandments. So this says to me that Nehemiah finds out that the walls of Jerusalem have been burned down and destroyed. This is a big deal because walls were what fortified a city, and they were what really like marked the city as powerful. So if you had no walls, that was really not good. So he's feeling really sad about it, and but then he remembers the goodness of God. So this tells me that Nehemiah had experiences, experienced God before as a promise keeper, and he declares him as that. So then if we go on, jump over to 2, go down to verse 3. Um, he goes to meet with the king, and the king is like, why are you sad? You're not sick. You don't look sick. Why are you sad? Somebody said that to me. I would be a little upset, but whatever. Okay, and he said... Um, why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lives in ruins and the gates have been destroyed by fire? So he's like pretty frustrated. He's like, listen, it's like completely tore down. I really need you to let me go there and rebuild this wall. So long story short, sorry, this is a lot of prayer phrasing, but the king gives him permission to go. Do, 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 do. So he went to Jerusalem, and he was there for three days, and then he arose in the night, and a few men with him, and he went out into um, the heart, uh, no, he went out into Jerusalem, um, and he only had one animal, he says, but he goes all through Jerusalem, he's visiting all the different gates, and seeing that pretty much the whole wall is just done for, like, it needs to be completely rebuilt. So, 
jump forward. Then he goes to his men. He says, you see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, and also of the words that the king had spoken. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands in, for good work. So then we come to rebuilding the wall. So they start building the wall, and it talks about all the people they sent to the different gates in chapter 3. So we'll jump to chapter 4. Um, and then it talks about a guy named Sanballat. That is probably pronounced wrong, but that's okay. And he is not not with the Jews. He is with the Sumerian army. And he is very angry and greatly enraged. And he jeered at the Jews, and he said in the presence of his brothers in the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones of out of the heaps of rubbish in the burns ones at that. So he's kind of like, they can't do this. This is ridiculous. And so they plotted, the Sumerians, they plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion. And Nehemiah says, and we prayed to our God and set a guard as protection against them that night. So I think what Nehemiah was saying is that when he heard this news that people were going to come against him and try to cause trouble and fight them, that he was like, okay, God, we're just imagining here. Who do you want to be for us in this situation? Now, it doesn't flat out say this, but it says earlier that he experienced God as a promise keeper and he prayed to God and then he set up protection. So I feel like God was saying, I want to be your protector in this situation. So then we'll jump forward a little bit farther. And I thought this was really interesting. So in the lowest parts of the space, behind the wall in open places, I stationed the people by their clans with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fights for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. So God was going to be their protector. He was going to be their fighter. And he declares that over his army, who's feeling nervous. Not his army, the people that are building the wall. Sorry. Um, From that day on, half of the servants worked on construction, and half held their spears, shields, bows, and coats of of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah who were building on the wall. Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that they labored, on the work with one hand and held the weapon with the other. Each of the builders had his sword strapped as his side, um, at his side while he built. Um, and then we'll jump down just a little bit. And he says um, that he's going to have this trumpet because they're all around the wall and that when he blows it, they need to come together. Um, and then the best part is he says, our God will fight for us. So he doesn't say we're necessarily going to fight, but he says we're gonna, he's going to fight for us. But I thought it was so interesting that he had his builders carry a weapon in one hand and build with the other. I thought that was really interesting. My brother-in-law, Isaac, um, does construction. Isaac, do you carry a sword while you build houses? No, I feel like if it was me, and I'm a little bit clumsy, I would, like, have the sword, like, strapped to my leg, like, all, like, bad and stuff, and, like, my hammer in the other, and I would, like, end up, like, stabbing my own self with the sword because it was strapped to me. 
But I felt like God was saying this is the way that joy works. Joy is like a weapon that you keep on you at all times. And um, as we as we put our focus on Him, which is what joy does. So when we have when we're when we're activating joy in us, the joy that we've received, it looks like rejoicing. It looks like praising. It looks like telling him how good he is. And when we do that, it makes us vulnerable to what he is doing in our situation. And it takes our focus off of what is right in front of us and what he is doing. And it gives us his perspective. And the enemy literally hates that. He hates when you get joyful and that joy, when you receive the joy and you activate it and it's bubbling up out of you and you literally cannot help but just like seeing. I don't know if people do this. This happens to me a lot of times during worship, but also in my car, if you ever see me driving around. But sometimes I'm just like thinking about the goodness of God and it's like I'm like activating joy in me and then all of a sudden it's like I can't help, but I'm like not a good singer, but I'm just like, Jesus, I love you. You're so good. Like I'm just like telling him what's up. And the enemy literally hates that. He hates it because it takes your focus. Again, it takes your focus off of the situation in front of you and puts your focus on him. And um, we push, that's how we push back the plans of the enemy and ultimately overcome and advance. So I'm sorry, I just realized I didn't finish the story. So we jump over chapter five and we go to chapter six. And then it says, Now when Sambalot and Tobiah and Geshem and Arab and the rest of the enemies heard that I had built the wall and there was no breach left in it. He does say, although I had not set up the doors and the gates. I love him for that because I think that's so funny. They get so mad. They're like so, so angry. And um, so the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elul. And in 52 days, they finished the wall in 52 days. That had to have taken a lot of guys, especially if they were only building with one hand and they had their weapon in the other. And um, when their enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and felt greatly in their own esteem, for they perceived that their, this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. And that's what, when we, when we take the focus off of our situation, we put our focus on him, that joy becomes a weapon and it pushes back the enemy, and then it's like, ooh, he's, like, scared. He's like, ooh, don't want to mess with you. You've got your focus on God. You, like, got it in the right place. And so we push back the plans of the enemy and ultimately overcome and advance. Um, this says to me that joy, all this says, joy is accessible at all times in all situations and is intended by God to be a weapon and a catalyst against the enemy in those situations. I don't think the Lord intends joy to be a happy feeling that we can access so that we can escape or get through a situation. It absolutely is not a magic spell that changes and shifts your circumstance, but as you choose to access his joy, it allows you to endure and ultimately overcome. So this is a testament of what it was in my life. It didn't change my outward situation at all, but it changed the way that I thought about it, and ultimately I was, over, I was able to overcome that way. And I think Nehemiah's story is the same. They were still wanting to attack him. They were still wanting to ruin the wall, but he, he put on joy like a weapon, and it allowed him to keep going. So last, joy is your portion. When I heard this, I was kind of like, hmm, God, what does that mean exactly? I mean, I know what it means, but what are you really trying to mean by this? 
And I felt like God said, he loves all this. He loves showing up in your trials. He loves giving you something through it because God loves relationship. At the end of the day, it all points back to that, that he loves relationship, and that's what he intended you for, that he intends to live in relationship with you, and because of that, joy is your portion. Because of the goodness of God in every situation is an opportunity to know him in a new way. When we catch this and focus on this in every situation, we rise above the circumstance by choosing joy and therefore bringing him into our circumstance, ultimately breaking through and overcoming. So I just love that because every situation, um, if we look at it that way, it's like that verse in James that's so annoying is like, wow, that's like actually true. And you're kind of like, okay, when I face a circumstance, you might be feeling like, oh, that was kind of terrible. But then it's like you wake up and you remember and you're like, oh, wait, but this is an opportunity to get something new from God and know him more and depend on him more. And whatever that thing that he wants to be for you, it's like, that's it. You just get to fall more in love with Jesus. You get to have more of him in your life. And that's what it's ultimately about. So, We're going to do a little bit of activation time. So I'm going to make you get a tiny bit uncomfortable and stand to your feet. (laughs) Not super uncomfortable, but. So I know some of you are in good seasons of your life. Currently, my life right now is like goodness of God on blast. Like, it's awesome. So I understand that. But the, the Bible says to be joyful in all seasons. So if that's your situation right now, you have the opportunity to be joyful, to put joy to action in your life by praising him and giving him thanks and rejoicing. Okay, so but for those of us that are going through something difficult or maybe have had something difficult happen to them in the past, this is what I want to do. I want you to close your eyes. We're just going to take a quick second. And I want you to ask God, God, what do you want to be for me in this situation? What do you want to be that you couldn't be outside of this situation? And maybe he's going to say, I want to be your friend. I want to be your provider. I want to rescue you. I want to be... a brother. I want to be your hope. I want to be your breakthrough in this situation. But just ask him what he wants to be because he knows exactly what's going on. And then I want you, once you get that, I want you to say, God, if you're willing, I invite you into the situation. For some of you, this might like look like taking, you might like have to actually do a physical action to this. You might need to take a step forward or move around. You might need to like picture yourself in your heart, like opening up your heart like a door for him to come in. And just watch what he starts to do because he's already going to start moving. The second that you let him in, he's already going to start moving. Pay attention to what he do, does. Pay attention to what he's saying. Ask him how he wants to be that for you, how he wants to build that trust of that in in what he's doing in your life. And I want want you to ask him for just his joy. Because as you spend time with him, that's just, he says that would be a byproduct of who he is. It's just the overflow of spending time with him. Ask him for his joy. 
and then actually receive it. And we're going to take a second. This is going to be so silly, and it makes me uncomfortable, too, so if it makes you feel any better. We're just going to start to just give him thanks. We're just going to start praising him. We're going to just start loving on him and saying, Jesus, we love you so much. We thank you that you bring breakthrough, and you can just start even right now out loud. Do it out loud. Thank you, Jesus, that you break through in every situation. Thank you that you want to be my daddy. Thank you that you save me and you rescue me. We just thank you. Let it bubble up in you. Joy is fun. Some of us think that it's immature or naive and it's not the right thing to do in a difficult situation. But joy is fun. And it's a characteristic of God. And it's a part of his kingdom. So wipe off your serious face and get joyful. Get joyful. Get joyful. God, you are so good. We love you so much. We thank you that you are a God of joy. We thank you that you are so much fun. We thank you that you love relationship with us. Would you let us laugh more? Would you let us laugh more this week, God? We thank you so much. We thank you so much for what you're doing in every life. We give you all the praise. We just rejoice that you are so good. We thank you that we can access your joy in every moment, in every season, no matter what the circumstance. All right, so if you can turn down the music a little bit, if you can open your eyes, and I want you to look around, like to do a double check. Did your physical situation change at all? Unless there was a creative miracle, probably it didn't. Um, but as you did that, you should have started feeling like you had God's perspective on that situation. Raise your hand if you did feel like God like said something to you that he wanted to be for you in this season awesome. That's so cool. Yeah. He wants to be it. So just invite him in. Let him be that in the next coming weeks and see how it shifts your mindset in your situation, which ultimately helps you overcome that situation. And you're going to be like, man, why was that even a big deal in front of me? It's me. Awesome. So thank you guys so much. Amen.